Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you for another week. Got some information that you might want to hear that you probably didn't hear about in the regular news, but Birdsong is here to tell you some urban news that you might want to know about. Let's start it with the fact that last week, as a matter of fact, on January 21st, there was a birthday. The birthday was of Eric Holder. He made history by being appointed as the first African-American U.S. Attorney General of the United States under President Barack Obama. His full name, Eric Hampton Holder Jr., was born in 1951 in the New York borough of the Bronx. His parents were of Bayesian descent. That meant Barbados. He graduated from Columbia University with a B.A. in American History, and he then earned a J.D. degree from Columbia Law School. While a freshman at Columbia, Holder involved himself in civil rights actions and black student affairs. Holder went on to work for the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, and then he joined the U.S. Justice Department. In 1988, President Ronald Reagan appointed Holder as a judge of the Superior Court of the District of Columbia. In 2001, Holder served, Holder served briefly as the acting U.S. Attorney General under President George Bush and was famously critical of President Bush's policies on war and terrorism. His historic appointment under President Obama was made official on January 20th, 2009. That was a day before his birthday. Under President Obama, Holder maintained a reserved analytical image while at times speaking out on race relations. Holder stepped down from the post in September 2014. He is now a partner at the Washington, D.C. law firm of Covington & Burling. That's the firm he left to join the Obama administration. He and his wife, Dr. Sharon Malone, are the parents of three children, and they reside in Washington, D.C. Happy birthday to you, Eric Holder. Now we know you've probably heard that the world is mourning the loss of veteran stage and screen actress Carol Channing. Several facts about her life are coming to the surface. Chief among those facts is that Channing's father was half black, something that the late star was quite proud of and that most of us did not know about. Carol Channing was born in January, January 31st, 1921, in Seattle, Washington, to a white mother and a half-German and black father, who could pass for white. Carol Channing, who was raised in San Francisco, didn't learn about her heritage until she was 16 and heading east to college. Her mother informed her that her grandmother was a black woman so that Channing wouldn't be blindsided by the appearance of any future children. Channing later shared that she was proud of this part of her bloodline, and it may actually have informed or helped her singing and dancing talents. At Vermont's, at Vermont's rather, Bennington College, Channing, Channing honed her skills in dancing and acting. In the 1940s, she made her Broadway, or had her first big break on Broadway in 1949 in the role of Laura Lee in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Despite that, it took time before Channing found herself 
on Broadway stages again. It took until 1964, where she took the stage world by storm with her Tony Award winning, her Tony Award winning role as Dolly Levi in the blockbuster Hello Dolly. Everyone knows about that song, Hello Dolly. She then took several key roles on the big screen, most notably her Oscar-nominated and Golden Globe Award in a thoroughly modern Millie, opposite Julie Andrews. While other roles came and went, Channing was forever connected to the character of Dolly Levi, playing her over 5,000 times in revivals of the play. She also starred in iconic television shows such as Sesame Street, among others. In 1970, Carol Channing became the first celebrity to perform at the Super Bowl halftime show. Also in the early 70s, she was named a political enemy of President Richard Nixon, which she called one of the biggest honors in her long career. In 1995, she was given a Lifetime Achievement Tony Award and continued to perform and dance well into her 90s. Carol Channing, who was married four times, is survived by her son, Channing Lowe, who was a Pulitzer Prize-nominated cartoonist. Carol Channing was 97. Isn't that something? May she rest in peace. Now, there was another luminary who probably didn't get much praise in her time, but there's been the, the death of Barbara Proctor. Barbara Proctor was the first American or African-American woman to own an advertising agency in the United States. She died at 86 years old back near the end of December. Her company was called Proctor and Gardner Advertising, but there was only one founder behind it, Barbara Proctor. Her maiden name was Gardner the first American woman to own and operate an advertising agency. Miss Proctor grew up in North Carolina, poor, and she stopped and stayed in Chicago when she ran out of money on her way back from a summer job in Michigan and made her way into the white and male-dominated ranks of the advertising industry in the 1960s. She regarded advertising as the most powerful means of communication with the American public, and vowed never to participate in the negative portrayal of women or blacks. One agency fired her when she declined to work on a television commercial that appeared to make light of the civil rights movement. How so? It showed a phalanx of housewives marching in the street, brandishing cans of hair product, and demanding that their beauticians foam their hair. In 1970, Miss Proctor struck out on her own, with the help of a U.S. Small Business Administration loan. By 1984, her billings had topped $12 million a year. Actually, President Ronald Reagan, in his State of the Union address that year, named her as an example of the American spirit of enterprise, recalling her rise from ghetto to build a million-dollar advertising agency in Chicago. Her business suffered a decline after the recession of the 1980s, and she was forced into Chapter 11 bankruptcy in 1995. Years later, Miss Proctor was often commended for the trails she blazed as a black woman in business and for the social consciousness she brought to the industry. Barbara Juanita Gardner was born in 
born on November 30th, 1932 in Black Mountain, North Carolina, where she was raised mainly, mainly by her grandmother. She graduated in 1954 from the historically black Talladega College in Alabama, where she studied English and psychology and was planning to be a teacher when she stopped in Chicago after working as a camp counselor in Kalamazoo, Michigan. She said, I wound up spending all of my money and didn't have bus fare to get home. She found work as a jazz writer in Chicago with Downbeat Magazine and later VJ Records, where she was credited with helping to bring early recordings of the Beatles to the United States. She moved into advertising, she said, when she understood its sway over American culture. She entered the field as a copywriter, fearing that her race and gender would impede her advancement. But she decided she had to start her own business. Many of her clients sought her services for advertising campaigns directed at African-American consumers. Among Procter & Gardner's first accounts was Jewel Food Stores, an Illinois chain that hired her to promote its line of groceries. Quote, she said, I didn't want it to appear that there was cheap stuff being put into black stores. She said this to Forbes magazine in 1983. She said she wanted the pitch to be, quote, generic foods are perfectly good foods. If apples aren't from Michigan, they're not grade A, but so what? They're still good apples. <laughs> among, her client, among her clients over the years were the Sears Department Store, Kraft Foods, the hair product manufacturer Alberto Culver, E&J Gallo Winery, Illinois Bell, and political cam campaigns, including the 19... 92 presidential candidate of Ross Perot. Miss Proctor had been married and she was divorced from Carl Proctor before she opened Proctor and Gardner Advertising and used her married surname for the business, she said, because it suggested that a man was participating in the operations. Miss Proctor died at a rehabilitation facility in Chicago of complications, rather, from a broken hip and dementia, said her son, Morgan Proctor. Beside her son of Chicago, survivors include a sister and two grandchildren. Reflecting on her life, Ms. Proctor remarked that she owed her determination, her success, and her resilience to her experience as a black woman who had grown up poor. More power to her. May she rest in peace. Isn't that something? First woman, African-American woman to own her own advertising agency. Well, there's more news. I don't know if any of you or many of you remember Chrisette Michelle. She was a singer. She still is a singer. But there's been an article about her that I want to bring to your attention because we hadn't heard much from her. She's the black R&B artist who hoped that singing for Trump would build a bridge to communities. Unfortunately, it derailed her career. So it's been two years since Michelle, that is, Chrisette Michelle, made what many predicted would be a career-ending decision. What? Singing at one of President Trump's inaugural balls. She accepted the gig against the advice of her fans, her former collaborators, and even her husband. 
she believed the performance would be an opportunity to be a bridge in a fractured nation. Instead, it sent her life into a tailspin. The 36-year-old lost an album distribution deal, and radio stations stopped playing her songs. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and endured a miscarriage that she publicly attributed to stress from death threats and a hydrant of criticism. The singer who wrote the song Strong Black Woman wondered if she should just stop singing forever. But Michelle is back on stage with a new perspective now. Amid the fallout, she told her critics that she is no political genius, but she now recognizes that's irrelevant. In the age of social media and partisan politics, it's impossible to, to separate the artist from the person. Her music acknowledges can't exist in a cultural vacuum, she says. Now, things still aren't going that well for her. She still feels the sting of former fans who saw themselves in her music, then accused her of selling her blackness to a presidential candidate who, while on the campaign trail, repeatedly cast black Americans as impoverished people living in hell holes and dependent on food stamps. Part of her worries might be too late. A legion of fans have refused to come back. She realizes that a footnote of her career perhaps is an epithet. Maybe that will be the connection to the man she didn't vote for, whose rhetoric she disdains, and whom she has never met in person. Now, a little bit more about Chrisette Michelle. Her full name is Chrisette, Chrisette Michelle Payne. Her first solo performance came when she was four years old. She recalls wearing a pink silk coat from Macy's and walked down the aisle of her church near her home in central Islip, New York, singing, Yes, Jesus. A child of soloist and choir directors, there was never any question that her life would be defined by God and music. She remembers trips to the library as a child, dissecting the music of Billie Holiday and speeding up the melodies of Charlie Parker. Even before aspirations are before the aspirations of R&B stardom, she had a feeling that her voice had power. By age 23, Chriselle Michelle, no, I'm sorry, Chrisette Michelle, rather, by the age of 23, when she signed with Def Jam, she was seen as the latest in the line of neo-soul singer-songwriters that included Lauryn Hill, Erica Badu, and Jill Scott. However, now, at her concerts, they're not even half full. She has um, had a voice that had a four-octave range. She complimented R&B and hip-hop tracks by Jay-Z, Nas, The Roots. She even had a brief stint on the reality show R&B Divas on TV One. Then, First Lady Michelle Obama made a secret trip to hear Michelle Crisette play in Virginia in 2014. After that, she was invited to sing at an official state dinner. It's all over now. Maybe her fans will come back, but it's just sad that singing for Trump put her on the blacklist, you might say, with her admirers.
This is Birdsong. I have more for you. We've got a, de- a guest coming up. She's a humorist. Her name is Jane Jenkins Herlong. But before we get to her, you know, or you may have heard that Gladys Knight is going to sing the national anthem at Super Bowl 53. The legendary singer and longtime civil rights champion will sing the national anthem at Super Bowl 53, which is being held in her hometown of Atlanta on February 3rd. That's a Sunday. Now, of course, it comes as no surprise that the night, that is, Gladys Knight, is being criticized for her move by supporters of who? Quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who they feel has been blackballed from the National Football League because of his sideline protest against police abuse of African Americans by taking a knee. In response, Gladys Knight has issued this statement, and I want to read some of it for you. Quote, I understand that Mr. Kaepernick is protesting two things, and they are police violence and injustice. It's unfortunate that our national anthem has been dragged into this debate when the distinctive senses of the national anthem and fighting for justice should each stand alone. She goes on to say that I am here today and on Sunday, February 3rd, to give the anthem back its voice, to stand for that historic choice of words, the way it unites us when we hear it, and to free it from the same prejudices and struggles I have fought long and hard for all of my life, from walking back hallways, from marching with our social leaders, from using my voice for good. I've been in the forefront of this battle longer than most of those voicing their opinions to win the right to sing our country's anthem on a stage as large as Super Bowl 53. She goes on to say, no matter who chooses to deflect with this narrative and continue to mix these two things in the same message, it is not so and cannot be made so by anyone speaking it. I pray that the national anthem will bring us all together in a way never before witnessed, and we can move forward and untangle these truths which mean so much to all of us. End quote. Those are the words of Gladys Knight. I'm going to watch the Super Bowl, and I'll be there to hear her sing the national anthem. This is Birdsong. I hope I've given you some information about our urban community that you may not have heard. There's more to come. Stick with us. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you. Thanks for sticking with us. I told you we we're going to have a guest. While growing up in a poor farm family in rural South Carolina, our guest's life was far from amusing for Jane Jenkins' hair long. She was relentlessly teased for being homely. She was rejected by numerous colleges and told that she'd never amount to anything. She also endured mental and verbal abuse. But... She managed to become a Miss America contestant, a best-selling author, a popular humorist, and a gifted singer, sought-after speaker, who has been inducted into the Speaker's Hall of Fame. She credits her humor for her success. 
Jane is an award-winning author of four books, including her latest, Rhinestones on My Flip-Flops. She's also recorded music, CDs, and uh, has uh, some comedy DVs, DVDs. As a humorist, her comedy is featured on Sirius XM 97. Jane, are you there? Yeah, hey there, Leonard. You, yeah, you it's are, great to be you with are, you. You are a humorist, and you are a person who has talked your way. You've used humor and laughed your way to what you call mental wealth, not just mental health, but mental wealth. Tell us Don't how you, you love did. that, Leonard? Yeah, that's good stuff, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. I, I just really think that in the times that we live, we get totally consumed with so much noise. And I, I say noise because life is noisy, and I think it's noisier than ever. And we can allow that to pull us down. We can keep watching all this negative news. And oh, there's it can a lot affect- of that, for sure. Oh, great day. Have you ever? I mean, it, and it's unfortunate that so many folks feel like if they get a, a computer click that they're a success. And Twitter's <laughs> gone crazy. <laughs> but you really need to block that out. If it's not really relevant and it's not something that um, is, is important, and we have forgotten what's important. We really do, our priorities and the noise, and you've got to be positive. And I think mental wealth is all about embracing good things, is calling up a friend, Leonard, that you probably haven't talked to in a while and saying, hey, buddy, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your friendship through the years. Now, that just brightens your day and brightens somebody else's today. So it's it does. little things it does. like and I've that. I've done that every now and then. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, it's it's a great technique, and, you know, if having money equals happiness, then why are so many wealthy people miserable? Yeah, how about that? <laughs> yeah, and I think mental wealth is just really counting your blessings. It's uh, knowing what to embrace and knowing what to keep out of your mind so it doesn't pollute your mind. It's really, it can be um, saying no to certain people that are energy vampires, too. You've probably a- had them. I sure have had folks that are energy vampires. I mean, you know, and time is valuable and energy, oh, my gosh, the older I get, the more I embrace energy. So all that negative yeah. stuff can just suck the energy out of you. All right. Well, listen, tell me, I know a little bit about you. You weren't born a humorist, but tell the, let's tell the listeners how you came to use humor in your life. Well, I'll have to credit my mother for that because she always would challenge me and say, find something funny in that. I mean, I remember she called me one time and blessed my brother's heart. It was his fifth marriage, and you did mm. hear me right. One, two, three, four, five. Mm. And my mother decided to find some humor in it, and she said, you know, your brother's wives, every first initial is a day of the week. And she went through <laughs> all the names. She said, Maureen, Terry, Wendy, Terry again, Francis, and Sharon, and thank God Sunday is a day of rest. <laughs> so I mean that that kind of stuff and even after she passed away she left me little funny things all over the house that would make me just go into hysterics because she wanted me to have a good I guess the the, the mental wealthy attitude mm-hmm. to see things and not let things affect the way you handle them and to just appreciate little things and health and friends and Take time and all these things that she wanted to teach me about laughter. And she was funny, but I've always been able to see the funny part of stuff. 
And, you know, that is a great thing. I'm not the great humorist, but, you know, you know that I've written some humor books about <laughs> dumb criminals. I used to be a federal prosecutor That's in funny. Washington and then a, then a defense attorney in Washington, D.C. Uh, had some pretty tough characters I dealt with, but there are some funny stories out there. <laughs> oh, hilarious. And I tried to see and, the humor in some of them. Well, I mean, uh, we live in a very small town. And humor is right in front of us. I think these little towns that we live in give people permission to be bigger. <laughs> and then they, so they're funny. And as long as people have good hearts and, um, I just try to, you know, I love to have a, um, a bouquet of friends. And right. it's, it's just a lot of fun to laugh with people and just enjoy life. And there's just a lot of humor. And even in this office, like my husband's a New York life agent and he shares his office with the funeral home. So oh when people gosh. walk what in, a I know. <laughs> I know. So when people come in, I like to say, "New York life or death." <laughs> <laughs> it's just a small town, see. So anyway, it's a sweet place, and I think your environment is huge, and what you expose yourself to. I was in New York last week. I just stepped on the street and felt the stress. People just zooming by, you know, bicycles, cars, the whole deal. And, it, um, is a, it is a place, I tell you. It's it's fast. It is crazy in New York City. Well, even even in the afternoon, we were just having a couple of drinks, and it with a good friend of mine, and the the woman who was fixing the wine for us. She was so stressed out, and I said, "Let me help you with that." And you would have thought I'd given her a birthday cake. She said, "You will help me." I said, "Yes, honey. Let me help you. You look like you're overwhelmed." And she said, "Thank you." She came to the table. Thank you so much. See, I mean, people just stop and just pay attention. You know, you never know. You never know. Well, listen, we've been talking in generalities. What specifically can you tell our listeners about helping to develop their sense of humor that might get them through life a little easier? Well, it could be anywhere. You can see the levity and no disrespect meant to any situation. But if you can just see the levity and if you can try to find something funny about, I mean, I was just having lunch with a friend of mine, and we just laughed about nothing. We started reminiscing, and we started talking about the trips we used to take when her husband was alive, and he sadly is deceased now. And uh, we just, it was just, it was just so simple about just something he said to me, a comment he said to me. And instead of focusing on the fact that he did have a very sad ending in his life, uh, we just laughed and reminisced about the good things. And yep. that's just part of it, to lighten up your attitude, to look at it from a different direction. And um, just some, just anything that you can see and even read. I mean, I know, what was it? I think it was maybe Guidepost Magazine or, or Reader's Digest. used to have this really funny thing in there, and it was called um, Laughter Across the U.S. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And, I really do. And, I mean, if you just sit down and read something funny, uh, go yep. online and just Google um, funny thought of the day and just look at that or go on your phone or pick up a funny book or something. Or I've even had friends call me up, Leonard, no kidding, and say, Jane, make me laugh. Tell me something funny that happened to you recently. And <laughs> well, I'll listen, just tell them a story. Well, that's good. What You know, you are known as a Southern storyteller. Do you have a story that you can tell our listeners? Well, I, I really do have bunches, but let me tell you a quick one. And right. I, uh, this is a good one because I think it just sets up 
it can set up the rest of your day, your life, or however you want to see it. So we, we have a little tiny Methodist church, and in our Sunday school class, there was a, a, a young man telling us a story, and he was much younger at age 17. He signed up for boot camp, and he went and just was miserable. And he just thought he was going to fail and drop out and the whole deal. And he just prayed. He got on his knees. He said, oh, God, please give me some encouragement. I need a sign. And as soon as he opened his eyes, he saw on his dog tags, be positive. Well, he took that to heart, and he changed his whole attitude, and people noticed it. And one of his friends said, man, listen, I thought you were going to drop out, go home, whatever, be discharged, however you do that. He said, what happened? He said, well, I'm not trying to broadcast this, but I will tell you, I had a miracle from God, a flat-out miracle. He said, what are you talking about? He said, look, God sent me a message on my dog tags. Be positive. The guy said, oh, really? You want to see my message from God? Oh, negative. <laughs> See, he, he didn't know it was his blood type. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, you know, there is a proverb that says, so as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Yes, I've so heard that, that is many smart, times. smart stuff, yes. So if you, whether you, and Zig Ziglar always said this, whether you think you can or you can't, you're going to be right either way. So right. why not That's think exactly I can? Right. So that's how I look at humor, and that's just a little funny story. I've got tons of them. I could I could stay on the program forever telling one after another. I love well, good I'm, Southern I'm, humor. I'm glad that, that you do. What I want to know right now is when do, can we hear you on Sirius XM? Well, that's a good question because I can't tell when I'm going to be played. I can just look and see when they played me. So it's always after the fact. I see. <laughs> but I'm okay. On, I'm on Sirius 97. And um, it's a it's a really funny station and uh, a lot of good humor. Some of it's a little um, every now and again. Uh, there's some stories that I'm, I don't approve of, so to speak, not for me. But then they throw in one of my sweet little church stories, and everything works out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's more to know about you. You are a best-selling author, and can where can you where can our listeners get your books? Well, the last two books, Rhinestones on My Flip-Flops and the uh, Bury Me With My Pearls, mostly where books are sold, whether it's Books a Million, um, was on the shelf for a while, those books, especially the Rhinestone book. But Amazon's always the go-to place. And my website, Jane Herlong, that's H-E-R-L-O-N-G.com. And uh, all my stuff is on there, my my comedy I'm a singer. I just, you know, I feel like you need to kind of develop the best of you and just share it with other people. So that's what I've done, made a career out of it. Now, did you become a singer because of the Miss America contest you were in? No, I just got better at it because I realized that when I was in the program, and it was a scholarship-based, it's more of a scholarship-based program now. But I sent myself to graduate school on the money that I made, and it was a way for me to help my daddy help me because he was a, a farmer. And mm-hmm. he was a tomato farmer, and he worked really, really hard. So it just helped me improve that talent that I had and um, make it uh, more of a performance talent. So I still, you know, I love to sing in my programs when appropriate and, had some wonderful opportunities. I went to Radio City Music Hall, had the chance to sing there. That was pretty nice. That's great. Were the Rockets yeah, there at that time, too? 
No, but again, I did see one of them. I just kept looking up at her and looking at those long legs, thinking what happened to me. <laughs> Everyone should go to Radio City Music Theater once and in their life. And just see the legs. Oh, my gosh, those legs. I think it starts under their armpits. <laughs> well, Jane, it's delightful being with you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, well, I've I like enjoyed humor, it, Leonard. And, and you Good. certainly have a lot of it. I've, I've, I've used humor in my law teaching. It really does help, I'll tell you. You know, law has some heavy stuff, but if you can get the students interested uh, for some of the humorous parts of, of the law and how it's used, they may actually learn something. So thank well, you so I, much for coming yeah, on I with us. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, Leonard. Thank you. All right, then. Well, have a good rest of the day. That little story will help most of us <laughs> look on the positive side, Jane. That's right. That, that be positive. There you go. All right. We'll talk to you again soon, okay? Thanks. Bye-bye. This is Birdsong. We've been speaking with uh, Jane Jenkins Herlong. She's a humorist. She's a writer and uh, a good person. Good person to talk to. She brightens our day. I have more things for you in the program. We've got some dumb criminal law stories and some riddles for you and Paul Harvey's story and some, you know, my thought of the week. So stick with us. I'm out now, but I'll be back. Don't change that dial. Hello, folks. You didn't change that dial. This is Birdsong back with you. Hope you're enjoying the show. I've got some dumb criminal law stories. These are stories I developed last summer, July and August. The first few stories are from Florida. The first one for the day, the headline reads, The Meat Belongs on the Plate, Romeo. We learn that a drunken man was jailed after he performed an unwanted strip tease for a woman at a Clearwater, Florida steakhouse. Police make this report. James Jordan was his name. He's 24 years old. He allegedly went into a Chippendale-style strip gyrations while the woman dined with her husband at a Kobe steakhouse. When she asked him to stop, he allegedly threatened to beat up her husband. The police were called. <laughs> he was arrested. The meat belongs on the plate, Romeo. <laughs> All right, what else do we have here from Florida? Headline, busted. An 81-year-old woman gave new meaning to the term busted when police caught her guzzling boxed wine on a street corner, topless. Mary Stewart allegedly let it all hang out on a beach I'm sorry, not on a beach, on a bench in St. Petersburg, where she lifted a box of Franzia Sunset Blush over her head and chugged it straight from the nozzle. Police did arrest her and put a blanket over her before sending her to the lockup. Another story from Florida. An unhappy hour for beer crooks, it says in the headline. A man and a woman made off with two cases of Corona Light without paying at an Orlando, Florida convenience store, but were soon arrested after a police officer pulled into the parking lot and was told by an employee that thieves had just driven off. The officer caught up with the car, and when he tried to pull it over, its driver missed a turn and crashed into a tree. 
The man got out and tried to run before the officer tased him. Yes, arrests were made. And the beer was returned. <laughs> the headline on this one, maybe the most disgusting office jerk ever. Maybe the most disgusting office jerk ever read the headline. The story, Robert Tyson, 62, took his feud with a female co-worker in a Tallahassee, Florida dermatology center to a new low when he twice put semen in her water mug, according to police. Tyson was fired and arrested after surveillance footage showed him pouring a substance into the woman's unattended cup. Police run a test, ran a test, and found out what it was. Ugh. Here's one from Georgia. It says, noodle nappers. It was Grand Theft Ramen. Police report that bandits looted $100,000 worth of noodles from a tractor trailer parked at a Fayetteville, Georgia gas station in July of 2018. The 53-foot truck was locked, police report. The police are still on the hunt for the noodle nappers. No arrest has been made. Here's a story from Indiana. The headline, What a Lettuce Stash. What a Lettuce Stash. A truckload of lettuce was no cover for this weed. Police arrested two men when a routine commercial vehicle inspection of their tractor trailer revealed 260 pounds of marijuana hidden in their load of fresh lettuce. Authorities report that the truck was heading from Colorado to Florida. Yep, Florida's always in there some way. We jump over to Ireland now, this story from Ireland. The headline, Real Horsepower. A man was arrested by police in July 18 with a horse stuffed into the back of his van. This is according to authorities. Police saw the van and pulled it over for a violation, then discovered the backseat mare. <laughs> the driver was taken into custody without incident. We have no news on what happened to the horse. <laughs> the backseat mare. <laughs> Here's one from Kentucky. The headline reads, He wasn't playing with a full deck. Michael LaRocco, 33, was charged with stealing items from a family dollar store, including 99 packs of Pokemon cards. He was arrested with the merchandise on him. LaRocco told police he stole more than he had intended out of spite for an employee who had antagonized him. Oh, poor, poor guy. But he wasn't playing with a full deck. <laughs> Here's a story from Maine. We don't get too many stories from Maine. The headline reads, Daredevil or idiot? It's been reported that a motorist was arrested for traveling from Massachusetts to Maine on a small motorized scooter without a license and using only his cell phone as a makeshift headlight. By the time police arrested the 26-year-old driver at 1.30 a.m. on a July and uh, on a July Friday in 2018 in Kittery, Maine. He had cruised 120 miles from New Bedford, Massachusetts. Daredevil or idiot? You figure it out. I think he was an idiot. <laughs> All right, the last one for the day comes from Maryland. The headline, Dope Fails Drive Test. Remember that. 
Dope Fails Drive Test. A 22-year-old man who went for his driver's test in the town of Glen Burnie, Maryland, left in handcuffs after the examiner smelled marijuana in his car. The examiner alerted a state trooper at the DMV and searched, who searched the car. The search found a pound of marijuana, a scale, more than $15,000 in cash, and a handgun loaded with a 30-round magazine, according to the police report. His name, Reginald Wooding Jr. of Baltimore. He didn't get his license that day, but he did get arrested on multiple charges. <laughs> oh, God, dope fails test. Yes, indeed. Well, those are your dumb criminal law stories for this week. There will be more. These stories never go away. If you go to my blog, birdsongslaw.com, you can find more of these stories for free, or you can get some of my books on Amazon.com. Go to Amazon.com, type in Professor Birdsong's Dumbest Criminals. Now for some riddles. As usual, I have three of them. Our first one. Where do mummies go on vacation? Where do mummies go on vacation? Second riddle. What do you call a cat at the beach? What do you call a cat at the beach? Our final riddle. Why do clams not exercise? Why do clams not exercise? All right, I'll read you the answers to these riddles if you can't figure them out at the end of the show. Stick with us. We'll be back with you soon. This is Birdsong. Birdsong back with you. I have a short Paul Harvey story. I've told you Paul Harvey wrote his last book about stories that were sent to him from across the country. Generally, very funny stories. He calls it For What It's Worth. Today's story, For What It's Worth, we learn that the South Central Bell Office in Jackson, Mississippi, there was a secretary who returned from her coffee break to see her boss, Jim McGowan, sitting at her desk. He said, sorry, I had a headache and took the liberty of looking in your desk for some aspirin. He said he'd then taken two and felt better now. She said, quote, anytime, Mr. McGowan. And she added, you won't get pregnant either. <laughs> oh, gosh, how about that? Okay, here are the riddles. You have just a few minutes to think about them. But the first one, where do mummies go on vacation, folks? Where do mummies go on vacation? The answer is they don't go anywhere because they're afraid to unwind. <laughs> the next one, what do you call a cat at the beach? What do you call a cat at the beach? Well, you call the cat Sandy Claus. <laughs> why do clams, why do clams not exercise? Why do clams not exercise? Well, it's because they don't want to get big muscles. Get it? <laughs> oh, those riddles never stop also. 
Here's my thought of the week. Think about these words. It's called the harvest. As any successful person will tell you, you have to have goals and you have to have a plan to reach them. Each of us have aspirations of where we want to arrive prior to the end of our careers. Whether you are in sales, management, a business owner, or simply a person with a dream, a farmer's character is one to be examined and learned from. In order for a farmer to be successful, there has to be a very specific plan, and the plan must be executed with detail. Not only must the strategy be implemented with care, but proper preparation must also take place to assure the seed that is planted will grow. Once the seed is planted, the farmer must nurture and provide an environment for growth. During this time period, one of the most important traits must be exercise. A farmer has to exercise patience, patience to allow the seed to grow into a mature plant that will produce a fruit, patience to allow the produced fruit to mature until just the right time to maximize his harvest. Are you planning properly to maximize your harvest in 2019? Think about it. This is Birdsong. I've loved being with you today. I'm signing off. I'll talk to you next week.